Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I am stressed beyond all belief, but I'm still feeling pretty good because it's draft week. Uh, The madness is almost done. We only have to argue about the San Francisco fucking 49ers for another four more days, EJ. Four more days. Oh, says you. You think it'll stop in four days. Oh, that's <laughs> cute. I love it. But yeah, we're we're not that far from the chaos, which means we're right in the middle of the chaos. Uh, this is last minute time to go through tape. Double check those folks that you might be a little bit lower on that you're looking at and everybody's saying oh the guy's a first rounder and you're like i don't think so i'm gonna go back again i'm i'm still grinding through the end of my running back tape with my rb palooza that's a good time but uh we're gonna we're gonna sneak in a little podcast here uh before we get kicked off with all the fun and uh do our last draft interview as well which we are super excited to bring all of you because tremendous voice in the draft community and and was nice enough to take some time with us in a very busy season so we're thrilled about that but we've got some other fun categories too yeah so first things first uh we're going to talk about our three favorite draft fits again it can be any round any position any team doesn't even matter it's more so you know when we talk about perfect fits who are guys that we want to see end up on specific teams specific schemes specific skill sets like who are the perfect fits each one of us has three uh and it's kind of interesting a little bit of an eclectic mix of guys some that you probably have watched quite a bit over the last few months and some that maybe you haven't watched at all uh ej i'm gonna have you kick it off here with your first perfect draft fit yeah and we should say this isn't necessarily what we think will happen we don't think it maybe even represents the greatest value it's just looking at a guy and his skill set thinking about scheme and coaching and and how that would just be a hell of a good time to watch as football fans and that's it that's the only plateau here so so don't drill us in the comments saying it's never going to happen just don't don't be that guy um but my first one is javante williams running back from north carolina in atlanta (laughs) Because I want to give Arthur Smith a shiny new hammer and let him spread out defenses with that offense, uh, having to cover all those receivers, and then just hit him right between the eyes with Javante and have him run over their small sets because he is the number one tackle-breaking machine in this draft, uh, far and away more broken tackles and yards after contact than any other back in this draft. A hell of a lot of fun to watch. Sort of a one-man wrecking machine. 
Arthur Smith, of course, came from Tennessee. He's used to having Derrick Henry in the backfield to bulldoze all the people he wants to. And I just think that would be so much fun. Now, Javante Smith will probably be there in the top of the second round. I'm not saying Atlanta should do this at number four. Again, not necessarily even the best value at the top of the second round. But man, if Javante Williams ends up in Atlanta and gets to run over those spread out small defenses while they're trying to cover Julio and everybody else, Ridley, and and who knows who they get it for, maybe Kyle Pitts, um, that would be uh, we'd quickly have sort of a greatest show on turf thing going on, I think. And and as a football fan, sure, throw the dart. That's what you're hoping for. I think it would be fun just because not only can he perform uh, a similar kind of role to Derrick Henry, where, you know, you're giving him not just double digit touches, but potentially 20 plus touches a game. He could take that kind of punishment. He could wear people out, but he also catches better than Derrick Henry. So I think there's more you can do with him on third downs. I think you could get him involved in the passing game in a bigger capacity than just screens which Derrick Henry, I think, was just pretty much limited to screens where they'd kind of do the throwback stuff and say, go run. Like, you know, you got a two-mile-long runway, stretch the legs. I think Javante can, you know, get involved, like, on seam routes, angle routes. You know, is he the same kind of receiver as, like, a Demetric Felton or something like that? Absolutely not. But uh, he's better than Derrick Henry. It's funny because everybody thinks Carter is the receiver just because he's smaller. His running back made at North Carolina, Michael Carter, Uh like Carter's a very good receiver, but so's Williams. Like Williams is not a slouch. And this is one of those preconceived notions. Oh, he's the big back. He's the hammer. He must have stone hands. Mm, He really doesn't. He's a tremendous athlete. Um, He's pretty good in protection too, which Matt Ryan will come to love very quickly because again, (laughs) if you're going to spread people out, and you've got a blitzer coming, I'd rather have Javante Williams taken on that blitzer than most of the other backs in this class. So pretty excited about that fit. Uh, my first fit is uh, Trevin, Trayvon Merrig to the Chargers. And I know this is going to strike some people as weird because you're like, wait a minute, they have Derwin James. They, they just drafted uh, Nasir Adderley, was it two years ago? But when you watch Trayvon Merrig at TCU – Everything that he does in that defense screams Brandon Staley, like in terms of all the split field stuff, the fact that like when they're in quarters, if you're running a a true wide receiver that run like a, like a speed receiver that runs like four, three, four, four, right at him, a lot of safeties are not going to be able to turn and run with that. He's a guy that can actually turn and run and, and carry a deep threat vertical. And that's like a common way to attack quarters is you put your fastest guy in number two and you say, go run with a safety because most safeties can't do that. He's a guy that can do that. That's extraordinarily valuable in a system like Brandon Staley's that plays a lot of quarters that has safeties have to basically hold up in quasi man coverage deep down the field a lot. Uh, You know, like um, when he was under Vic Fangio, like that's been a thing that Vic Fangio has done for a long time. You saw him do it with Eddie Jackson. You saw it do with Justin Simmons. Like you need to have safeties that can do that. And he can do that. Not to mention, plays the run really well. You can put him in press against tight ends. Uh, you can play him as like a post safety deep center field. Again, it's not like his main thing that he's good at, but he can survive in that way too. Because it's not like you're only going to play quarters. You're going to want to play cover one, cover three every now and then. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to want Derwin James roaming around the line of scrimmage because he's excellent at that. So if you want to play a true single high, he can do that. And obviously Derwin can play single high as well so having these two guys that can do everything together on the same defense 
and Merrig, it's, I'm not saying pick him at 13, but there's a decent chance he's there in like the early to mid second round. Maybe you have to trade up for him kind of like they did with Kenneth Murray last year. But man, I I understand they have to see your Adderley, but Merrick's is so much better and such a good fit that I really want that to happen. Well, don't discount Adderley, right? Three safety packages. You're talking about Brandon Staley, right? You play dime. You bring in Derwin James as your dime backer and you play Adderley and Merrick like, that's a nasty little triangle in the middle of the field that offenses are not going to like facing because it's three very skilled players. Bottom line is you need to stack as many of those as you can in your modern secondary in the NFL because offenses are going to find your weakest link and try and tear it apart. And if you've got those three guys back there, like you said, with the versatility, the ability to switch and cover big receivers, speed receivers, stack tight ends at the line, go with big slots. You can do all of that with those three, and it would be – I'm with you. That would be a really fun fit. Who is your uh, number two perfect fit in this class? <laughs> I went with more power because, I don't know, I was on a power running trip when I wrote this, but I'm looking at Ben Cleveland, the guard from Georgia, going to Tennessee. <laughs> Because you put the mountain, the guy that looks like the mountain from Game of Thrones, in front of Derrick <laughs> he Henry, like <laughs> he does, and push the punish button, right? Because for those of you that don't know, Ben Cleveland is an incredibly cut 350 pounds, and he is a man mover. He is a bulldozer in the run game. He's got extremely strong hands and likes to run people over. And just imagine that you are some random off-ball linebacker playing the Titans or maybe an edge on a, on a pull because Cleveland's mobile as well. And you are lucky enough to avoid getting hit by that Mack truck. And now your bonus, your gift for that little piece of – for that stroke of luck is now you get to tackle Derrick Henry. So if <laughs> Cleveland misses you, which is not likely, then you get to try and stop Derrick Henry, which, as we all know, is, is not fun. Do that. 10 12 times a game to one side and watch towards the end of the game whether or not those defenders are any kind of energetic about engaging with that my guess is yeah nah they're gonna give that up real quick that would be i mean you're looking at 550 pounds of guys between cleveland and derrick henry and that's gonna tire people out especially as defenses tend to go small like ben cleveland loves defensive backs like he, he hugs them. He loves defensive backs. So uh, I can see that combination just being deadly in Tennessee. Lots of fun to watch, too. I mean, you and I both adore Darius Leonard. But the guy plays at 215. He's even said himself, I play at 215. 34-inch arms are great, but there's only so much that 215 pounds can do against 355 and then once you get off that block from 355, you got to tackle 245. Like that's that's a tall order. Like you, there's only a few like true Mike linebackers in the league that I think are actually built to handle that kind of beef. And none of them play in the AFC South. So <laughs> especially since they traded Bernard McKinney. So that 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 definitely works for me. Um, speaking of big middle linebackers, by the way, that can handle that kind of beef, Zaven Collins is one of them. And so my dream fit for him is either Miami or New England because both of those defensive coaching staffs would use him properly. To me, he is the closest thing 
in this draft to Dante Hightower. And there's a few guys that kind of profile similarly to Dante Hightower in certain ways, like Derek Barnes from Purdue, I think can play that kind of similar role to a degree. Pete Werner from Ohio State can kind of play a similar role. He's 240-plus, excellent blitzer, a little bit better in coverage, so it's not quite the same, but he could he could kind of do it. But in terms of big, 260 to 270-pound inside linebacker, again, he just weighed 270 at his medical recheck in Indy, and he carries it well. That is Dante Hightower. Dante Hightower, multiple times in his career, has been over 260 because they play him at three technique. They play him at nose, and he's a freaking linebacker. They'll play him at nose tackle because of all the different fronts they kind of use in that system in New England and also in Miami under Flores. Like, if you can't, like, that's why they traded for Bernardrick McKinney is to try to get somebody who's even sort of approaching that kind of skill set. But if you can get Zayvon Collins there, <laughs> who can do everything that Bernardrick McKinney can do, but better, not to mention McKinney, like, they, it costs nothing to cut him like completely nothing. They, they just offloaded, uh, you know, a, a rotational edge rusher to get him because they needed him. But like, if they get Zavin, they don't need him anymore and they don't lose anything by cutting him. But Zavin fits perfectly because he is a gigantic linebacker that can line up over a guard, can line up over a center, that can stack and shed easily in the line of scrimmage. And, oh, by the way, he covers better than Dante Hightower does. Love Dante, but he's not really a coverage backer. Zavin can do that. He's kind of a unicorn physically. So if he got past 18 at Miami, again, even though they already have McKinney, I would be surprised because they just, they don't make them like that anymore. They just don't. There's nobody else in this draft that profiles with his physical skills. I put out a thing a couple of weeks ago on Twitter about player A is Zayvon Collins and listed out his, many of his measurables and tests and who's player B. And I listed them out and they were down the line. Right. We were <laughs> that was at his lighter weight, too. They were within one pound of each other. They were within a half an inch of each other height wise. Their arm length was within half an inch. Vertical jump was within one inch. Uh, broad jump was within one inch. And player two is Brian Erlacher. <laughs> like that's that's crazy. They, they and I had said to you probably two months ago on a podcast, like, hey, I remember, I think Zayvon Collins reminds me of a young Erlacher, not a Hall of Fame Erlacher, not what Lovey turned him into, but a young Brian Erlacher coming out of New Mexico. And I hadn't looked at those stats yet. In fact, I don't even think Zayvon had done his pro day testing. So I went back and looked at, pulled him up on RAS and mock draftable, and they are down the line. Now, Erlacher was a, uh, a tick faster, not quite a 10th faster in the 40 overall and his his 10 yard speed about the same about a tick faster um but in terms of the physical it is uncanny it is the same line for line and that was before he weighed 270 which is what Erlacher started to approach he was 265 later in his career um so I'm not saying that Zayvon Collins is Erlacher I'm saying the physical similarities are amazing and there aren't many guys like you said period in this draft or anywhere else that are that big can cover that well, move that fast, or anywhere near as uh, agile, let's just say that, because Zayvon Collins was a gymnast growing up, and you can tell he is light on his was feet. He? Yeah, he was a competitive gymnast. His mom had him enrolled in, in a competitive gymnastics program, and you can see it when that guy goes to hop a cut block. Like, it's not a thing. Like, he just, <laughs> his head stays in the same place, his hands and his feet move together. 
He stays square to the line. That like explains a lot. Cause doesn't I, I remember it? like, I remember taking notes and I was like, what the, what kind of body control is this for somebody that big? It, it makes a lot of sense now because especially yep. like when he's working through trash and everything, like, just yeah the balance the balance absolutely you see him balance and and what i'll just call spatial awareness or body control his ability to get his shoulders square or turn them get through crease uh lean low pick his knees up at the same time like uh, that's those are things you see a lot of guys struggle with as they start to get to that size i mean that's defensive end size in a lot of defenses right you're getting up towards 270 280 like those guys start to get we hear, you know, notchy or long limbed or, you know, just flat out clumsy, right? Zaven is so not that he moves like a guy who's 220, but he's currently 270. And you just don't, those guys do not grow on trees. So I almost put that one down. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad you got it. Um, because it, I, when he weighed at 270, I actually texted you and said, seems like he already knows he's going to the Patriots. He's just getting ready for it. He's just doing what they want him to do. Um, so I'm glad you just, picked that I one. I thought up. of a I thought of another term, by the way. High cut. Anytime you hear somebody high say, Oh, cut. he's high cut, what they really want to say diplomatically is this dude's stiff as a fucking board. Yeah. <laughs> Means his legs don't move as well as we'd like them to. <laughs> Zaven Collins, though, is high cut. Like he's he's got long legs, but you're never gonna hear somebody say, Oh, he's high cut, because he doesn't move like he's high cut. Like he's no. just He's a graceful football player, and there's something to be said for that because true athletic grace is, again, not all that common. We see a lot of guys that do amazing things on the football field, but, um, you know, Zavin is – he has some movement skills at his size that are, we'll just say, rare. Yeah. Now, your your third one is intriguing to me because it it took a second to sit with me where I was like, "Eh, I don't know, but – in a very specific role, which is a role that that team has yet to fill right now, I think it could absolutely work. Why don't you walk me through Divine Diablo to Chicago? Yeah, I watched Divine Diablo about a week and a half, two weeks ago now. Um, Divine Diablo, for those of you that don't know, big safety, Virginia Tech, about 6'3", well over 200 pounds, and loves to hit. Can cover, but loves to hit. So Chicago, as you said, has not filled the role of strong safety and divine Diablo would be great at that. He is again, big enough in size. Eddie Jackson is really the guy you want back in coverage from the middle third to deep. And if you mix Diablo and it's good in your base packages, but it is also good in your dime and nickel packages because you do not want Danny Trevathan covering and if you could slide diablo down next to roquan pull another safety in then you kind of get a two for one going on you can play him in your base packages you can play him in your goal line packages because he's got enough heft there and he loves to hit but you can also play him in those new base packages which is nickel is the new base or as a dime backer and again add some flexibility drop another safety behind to cover tight ends if you need to it's a really flexible sort of matchup weapon that would make a lot of sense. And one of the reasons I love it is the new defensive coordinator for the bears is Sean Desai and Sean Desai has been on the defensive side 
for the last six years in Chicago, most recently as a secondary coach. So he knows how to use all those interchangeable pieces, and he doesn't really have anybody at that safety opposite Jackson. Now they re-signed Gibson and they re-signed Deion Bush and they re-signed DeAndre Houston Carson. None of those guys are real difference makers in the defense. Again, I don't think this is great value because Divine Diablo is going to go probably late second, early third. I don't really think the Bears should be picking a safety there, just the way their team's built. But again, skill fit, ability, uh, a, the the real value to fill sort of two roles for one or even three just got me thinking about it because look, uh, his predecessor at Virginia tech that everybody talks about in that role is cam chancellor mm-hmm. and divine Diablo's not cam chancellor, but he definitely reminds you of him occasionally. I, I think so. Strong safety is in need, but I'm very curious to see how they would deploy him because I, I don't necessarily like if they want to keep going with the quarters stuff, like what they did with Fangio. I don't necessarily know about that because the hips aren't, you know, again, I'll say he's high cut, <laughs> you know, the, the hips aren't really there where it's like, Hey, you got to match up with, uh, God, God forbid it's Justin Jefferson in the slot. And, you know, he's running like a post <laughs> corner. That dog won't hunt. But I love the idea that you said of Dimebacker, where you, you just take Danny off the field entirely. You, you leave him and Roquan on there because, again, he is a 6'3", 225-pound human being that runs 4'4", jumps 35 inches. I think he's like your tight end eraser. Personally, mm-hmm. him and uh, Nasraldine from Florida State are like the two that I look at in that role this year. Personally, I like Nasraldine a little bit better, but in that one specific role, I could absolutely see Divine Diablo thrive there. I, w- I would still want, like, again, if you're running quarters, I would want to Sean on the field, or if they draft another guy who's just better, like a straight up better, like man cover safety, I'd probably mm-hmm. put him back there. But it, just for the fact that Danny wouldn't be on the field on third and seven, I think it's worth the pick just for that. Like, I love Danny, but good God. <laughs> not any, so much not anymore in that role. Like, I, I think yeah. we both love Trevathan. He's a warrior. He's super smart. He's captain of the defense when he's in there. You can see guys rally to him. But especially through the end of last year, all those knee surgeries are starting to catch up, right? Father time is undefeated. And you just don't want him out there in that role. And the bottom line is right now we talked about the lacking at safety for Chicago, but we haven't talked about the lack at inside linebacker, which is they don't have anybody there. They've, they've sort of now they did resign Christian Jones. I don't think that's a huge upgrade for the role we're talking about on third down. Like I don't want Christian Jones covering, you know, anybody that's fast in space. That's he's, he's more of a classic sort of Sam almost. So It'd be interesting there, and I'm with you that Hamza is a tick above Divine Diablo for me uh, in this role. Divine Diablo is is the guy you get if you were after Hamza, and he's not there because, again, Phil checks a lot of the same boxes. And some things I think he does a little bit better, but not most. If I had to pick between the two, sure, I'll take Hamza, but I think he'll be off the board first. Um, Diablo just rang several bells as I was watching his tape, and one of the ones is, oh, man, does he like to hit. And a lot of guys yeah. at that size who play his, you know, his position don't 
right? We, again, we talked about this with big guys and small guys catching the football. This is the same. Big guys on defense don't necessarily like to hit. And Diablo loves to bring it around the line, which is why you could play him on goal line and, and all that stuff. So I just think versatility wise, it would be a lot of fun to watch as a football fan. Do I think it's going to happen? I definitely don't. You know, it kind of reminds me of that. I think about it. Who was the guy that went, I think he played at Wazoo and he went to Arizona. Deontay. I want to say Thompson, but that's not right. Um, he was like a first round pick for them. I think. Oh, uh, Dion Buchanan. Yes. Yes. That kind of mold, that kind of mold. Where it's like, because that that experience, they were trying to use Dayon to uh, replace uh, who's it, Daryl Washington, I think if I remember correctly, hmm. who was like a tick above that in terms of like size, but the same kind of role, uh, and it sort of kind of almost worked. But I think if they narrowed his role even more to just dimebacker, I think he could have stuck around a little bit longer. Uh, I I like Diablo for that role. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, my third and final is one that's near and dear to my heart and absolutely worst case scenario for you. And that is Elijah Moore to Green Bay. You and I both love Elijah Moore. We adore him. It, it would it would sicken both of us, I think, to, to see him play against the Bears two times a year, uh, especially you, because you were the one that, that was on Elijah from like January. Like he was immediately like your top five receivers. Uh, you're going to get the horns if this happens. And it's very likely to happen, folks. Elijah Moore has been mocked to Green Bay quite often. And every time I see it, I cringe because I love his skill set. Uh, famously, the Packers did not draft a lot of wide receiver help for um, Aaron Rodgers last year. And that apparently pissed him off. And apparently he went on a league rendering tear where he just burned everybody to the ground. So maybe they should just keep that up. Maybe they should just keep not drafting him wide receivers and keep just him keep angry. Drafting backup tight ends. Only Dra- backup draft tight another, ends. Draft another quarterback. It yeah. seemed to have worked perfectly, right? He got really pissed. He defended his turf and just raised the rest of the NFL. So just don't give him more. How about that? So what you're saying is Kellen Mond at 29. And there sure. you go. Another yeah. MVP for, for Aaron. <laughs> um, Elijah Moore though. I mean, he is like somebody compared him to Brandon cooks a while back, which I liked like in terms of like numbers and everything that like testing numbers, they're damn near identical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I almost feel like Elijah Moore is more creative with the ball in his hands, better vision. Uh, you know, the acceleration I think is comparable to when Brandon cooks was coming out of Oregon state back in 2014. I think it was. Which, by the way, that 2014 receiver class with Devontae Adams, Odell Beckham, Sammy Watkins. Brandon Cooks won the Bolitnikoff that year. He beat out everybody for Bolitnikoff. Random fun fact. Brandon uh, Cooks, man. Went, we need to have like an episode on Brandon Cooks. We do because the guy's moved. Weirdest like, career. Yeah, Such five times career. in five years. He racks up 1,000 yards every year. He gets traded for a first-round pick like every other year. And... He just keeps producing different quarterbacks, different offensive systems, whatever. But, he's, oh, he's not worth it. He's not worth it. And he goes out, throws up like 1,000 yards. And it's like, yeah, his career is just bonkers. Well, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think Elijah Moore would get traded multiple times because once he's in Green Bay, Aaron's never letting him go ever. Like in perfect, perfect fit at slot receiver for them. And this is a team that didn't really run 11 personnel last year. 
uh, if they could avoid it because they didn't have anybody they really wanted to put in the slot other than Devontae Adams. Elijah Moore gives them the flexibility to be an 11 personnel a lot, which we know that Aaron likes. They don't have to just stick to 21 and 12. Uh, not to mention, he gives them uh, an aspect or an element to their offense with the jet sweeps that they have always tried to fill with running backs. Aaron Jones has done it. Uh, Jamal did it. Tyler Irvin did it. Like They always have like the jet sweep guy because they integrate that <laughs> into their run game and into their play-action pass game. When you look at Elijah Moore and Ole Miss, like he was – absolutely deadly on jet sweeps like they just basically used instead of like running crack toss they were like we're just gonna run a jet sweep have the same blocking scheme but have elijah get the ball instead because he can actually pay it off he can actually get the corner and he's just so effortless like once he gets the ball in his hands in terms of like transitioning to becoming a runner there's no wasted movement silky smooth ultra explosive like i think he would be an immediate rookie of the year type threat in green Bay. And again, that hurts for me to say, because I love the guy and I don't want to root against him, but I'll be damned if it doesn't fit. No, it's a great fit. And you're right. Aaron Rodgers would never let him go because he's where he's supposed to be on the route. He will be open. He has no problem getting open. His footwork is Jerry Judy. Like if you want to go dipping into last year's, he is tremendously quick footed uh, uses multiple moves at the line to set defensive backs up and then just tear them open. I've I've said surgeon several times throughout the draft process because you see him just cutting up defensive backs. He's always open, and I like what you said about his transition to a runner. He's a very good yak threat. There's a lot of guys in this class that are pretty good at getting open. Not all of them are excellent with the ball in their hands afterwards. And again, I go back to last year's class, and I think about Brandon Ayuk. Not as clean a route runner as Moore, but, oh, man, if you get the ball in his hands, he will not surrender. Like, that is the thing that I took away from Ayuk's tape is once you make him into a ball carrier, he will not give up. Like, there is no way he will try and run you over, around you, whatever. He is just determined. And Moore is one of those receivers. He's not quite physical uh, like Ayuk is there, but his ability to continue on after the catch, he's not like, oh, I caught it. Okay, cool. I'm down. It's, oh, okay, I caught it. Let's see if I can embarrass you further. Uh, (laughs) So I would hate to play against that twice a year with Chicago going against Green Bay, but it is is an ideal fit. Yeah, uh, Danny Trevathan picking up a crossing route. No, stop. Stop. No. Nah, yeah, oh, God. nah. So, I wash that out of my mouth. That's terrible. <laughs> this draft season has been rather contentious, EJ. If you had <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. If you hadn't noticed, especially uh, in the social medias, and so we're just gonna feed into that, and we're just yes. gonna get as toxic as possible. We're gonna talk about our our each of our biggest pet peeves. Like, what is something if it happened in the draft? that would frustrate the hell out of us like what what would make us lose our minds during the upcoming draft stream uh, draft stream shameless plug by the way it's going to be here on the bootleg channel starting an hour before day one so get here we're going to be uh hanging out all through round one and then starting round two an hour before or, uh an hour before day two starts all the way through second and third round and then a half hour before day three all the way through uh, the remaining four rounds, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be hanging out, reacting to every single pick, and uh, probably reacting fairly negatively 
to a few of them, not going to lie. So what is your biggest pet peeve that you hope doesn't happen? Uh, I couldn't decide because I've been holding all this tech toxicity in and, and I just need to vent. So I picked two. Um, no, uh, six QBs in round one. Everybody always talks about magical six QBs in round one. And, and fans think that that's just a thing that happens all the time. <laughs> and numbers wise, it almost never happens. It's happened once. Uh, the average, even the 10 year average going back when people say, yeah, but it's a different league. Well, true. But even the 10 year average, most recent 10 years is about 3.6, 3.7 quarterbacks going in the first round. So six is an extreme outlier. And this year there's a real shelf after five. Like you can say it's what you cliff, want about not a shelf. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. You can say what you want about Mac Jones. It's cool. But there's typically most people have their top four, top five, right? And and in there, everybody, including Mac Jones. And Mac Jones, obviously, one of those things you said uh, has been driving the sort of contentious nature of draft Twitter. But after that, there's a big drop off there. You know, none of those top five are sure things. But after that, you're really you're it's not quite project, but it's darn close. You're, it's a project in some way if you're going to draft one of those quarterbacks. And that would mean one of them was taken in the top 32 picks, <laughs> meaning you left a lot of other really talented players on the board and you're now at the sixth best of one position before maybe you even get the first best of another position off before you get the first best center or inside linebacker or if, if Davis Mills goes ahead of Trayvon Merrick, I'm just going to end it all <laughs> jump out that window. Yeah. Well, I know that there's a little roof there, so you wouldn't hurt yourself too bad, but anyways, no, it's, <laughs> it's a terrible thing like that. And everybody's like, Oh yeah, six quarter. And they're talking about it. Like it's just sort of faded complete. Like it's going to happen. Like, Oh yeah. Somebody will slip into the back end of the first round pick. And I'm like, if they do, they should have their privileges revoked for, I don't know, a round or two, because it's just not a great choice. I understand the thirst for quarterbacks. I understand the, you know, musical chairs aspect of this. If they're all gone and you need one and you're left standing there, you can do something else. You don't need to spend your most valuable draft asset, your first round pick, or God forbid a team trades to get back into the bottom end of the first round and pick somebody like Davis Mills extra picks for a guy like Davis Mills in the first round. I will lose my freaking mind if that happens yeah, you, because you hear that Matt Nagy, you hear that? Just saying. If that happens, this this little screen right here is going to go black for a few minutes. I'm going to go take a walk. <laughs> I'll come back when I can speak. <laughs> my eyes aren't like permanently crossed. That would be infuriating. And the other one is very similar to a conundrum we had last year, which was if Isaiah Simmons goes to a team that doesn't have a plan for him, we're not going to love that. We love him as an athlete, but you got to have a role carved out for him. And this year that's JOK, right? Jeremiah Usukormoa from Notre Dame, very talented player, maybe even a bit more versatile than Simmons. Uh, and we saw Simmons come in early. They wanted to show off the shiny new toy. They didn't get it. He didn't get it. And he sat till midseason because they were like, whoa, that's not it. Let's let's give you a few weeks. <laughs> he started coming in. 
in the second half of the season. Week 10, he started to pick it up. And from week 10 on through the end of the season, he improved every week, made more big plays every week. And and I think his trajectory is, is in a place that's pretty good. If that happens to JOK, I'm going to be kind of bummed. I want somebody that has a fairly defined role for him as a rookie through the first half of his first season and really lets him shine and doesn't try and make him do all the things at the higher level, because I think that'll stunt him a little bit. Where just gun to your head. Where do you want him to go? Again, all I really care about is that the defensive coordinator is like in on that and goes, I got it right. We're going to well, use him as just like we just talked about the divine Diablo. Right. And you said, just going to bring it up. Just going to bring it up. It's I, like, I like him in a more narrow role, right? That's the same thing. And it might not have to be as narrow because his skill set is wider um, and his physical ability, quite frankly, is greater than Divine Diablo. But that doesn't mean, oh, open it up. That's the temptation, right? There's so much here. Let's just let him do everything. And the transition from college to pros, I don't care who you are, first rounder, fifth rounder, seventh rounder, it's a big jump, right? You're going from always sort of being the best ever big man on campus, whatever to, Hey Rook, what's up? Carry the pads. And if we're going to thrust you into the limelight, everybody's a killer, right? Everybody's a number one alpha. Everybody's the best. And they all have more experience than you if you're a rookie. So again, make that role defined and say, look, you're going to be our tight end killer. You're going to be our nickelbacker, right? I'm going to have you come in and learn nickelback. I'm not going to bring you in as a blitzing third safety. I'm not going to slide you outside and have you cover somebody one-on-one, even though you can probably do it. That's not the point. I'm going to have you focus. And if you get real good at that, we'll start mixing in other flavors, right? But let's not just throw five flavors out there. See what you're not good at. Reduce that, have to reduce that and, and follow a more Simmons like profile from last year. I want to see that narrow roll to start and then broaden as it gets good. Not, whoa, that's terrible. Shut it down and then rebuild and and start again kind of after the halfway mark. Kind of reminds me of like Kyle Van Noy's trajectory where it started out real shaky. He was doing a little bit of everything, goes to New England to get a second chance, and they literally just used him in one or two personnel packages doing one or two different things like hey here's all the fronts that we run in this personnel grouping know all these fronts uh know what everybody's doing in this front because you might have to be the pick man on a stunt you might be the looper like you might have to cover like just learn these specific personnel packages because you're only going to be in these and then they kind of added him a little by little to other packages until he became the Kyle Van Noy that we know and love today. And then he went to Miami, did the same thing. And now he's back in New England again, but he didn't start out no. as that do it all linebacker for them. It, it, it took a little bit to get there. They brought him along slowly, like what should have happened in the first place in his career. But obviously the Patriots are just, you know, better at the whole coaching thing than most people. Weird, uh, right? I, I, yeah. Weird. I can see the same thing with JOK though, where it's like, you know, if, if you throw everything at him at once, there might be a little bit of, I, I have a little bit higher faith in him than most people to pick stuff up. Cause I think he's really smart, but I can also understand the fact that of like, Hey, he's a 
215, 220 pound linebacker, there's some stuff that he's just not going to be able to do. And you got to be willing to not make him do that stuff. So. And there's just so much other stuff in your rookie season, right? You're moving from where you've been for two to four years to a brand new city. Uh, you've got there's a pandemic. Like, there's a pandemic. There's a whole new scene. The playbook is about five times as thick as what you probably saw in college. You don't know any of your teammates. You don't know any of your coaches. You don't know where to get a burger. Like there's just a whole bunch of other stuff that comes with this massive life change. And oh, by the way, you're like 21 years old. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you need to surround yourself with good people. It's just a huge period of adjustment physically. You got new nutrition, new lifting, the whole bit. And especially if he's because he's most likely going to be a first round pick. I think we both agree on that. If he goes to a major market, right, you throw him in like New York, L.A., right he's been in south yeah. bend for a couple of years like my sister went to south bend it's it's not a not a huge place you know and there's just a ton of other distractions that get in there and a lot of guys are getting pretty good at, at putting the blinders on but it just puts so much extra stress and then they're like oh we want you to do this we want you to do this and go meet with the linebackers coach and oh then you got to run to the secondary meeting because we're also going to do this with you this week and it's Right. Just a lot of swirl. So I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that they can bring him along. And if he goes to a major market, that's fine. But it's even more reason to kind of go, look, we're going to have you do one thing, do really well. If you do really well at that, you pick it up. You don't miss assignments. Great. We'll expand your plate, but we're not going to go the other way. I would say my one pet peeve, and I want to preface this by saying I like Mac Jones. He's a good quarterback. I have a higher grade on Mac Jones than Tua. I think he's a legitimately good prospect. But, 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 if he goes number three ahead of Justin Fields, and even uh, to a degree ahead of Trey Lance, I, I will lose my mind. Like, again, I like Mac Jones. He's good. But you know what? Whoever goes to San Francisco is going to be a good player. Like if Mac Jones goes to San Francisco, he's going to have a good career. He's going to be a really good quarterback for them. They're going to win a lot of games. He's going to be in the running, probably the immediate favorite for rookie of the year. You know why? That's a great organization with a great coaching staff and a great system and great weapons and a great offensive line. He's going to be set. Like last year where they bottomed out because of injuries, like the worst case scenario for them happened multiple times over starting quarterback uh you know star defensive end got hurt within like 10 minutes of each other in like week two of the season never recovered worst case scenario happened to them and they still finished with the 12th pick this team's not bad they're awesome so whoever goes there is going to be great why why would you not put an elite physical talent in that situation to grow and develop and become a Justin Herbert, become a Josh Allen, become a Patrick Mahomes. Why the hell would you take a guy who, again, I'm prefacing saying this, he's good. He's a good, good player. The dude maxes out at 45, 50 yards. Like if it's a far hash throw, forget it. Like it's, I don't understand why you would settle for good instead of trying to get elite. You already have good with Jimmy. You lost the Super Bowl. You lost the Super Bowl to a guy who's elite. 
go get elite. I don't understand. I just, I don't get it. Like I like Mac Jones. He's good. This is not a Justin Herbert thing or like I was shitting the Justin Herbert pick because I didn't really like Justin Herbert as a prospect. This is not that Mac's good. I want elite. He's not elite. I... Sorry. <laughs> He's not. Buckle up. Buckle up. Just might happen. Uh, yeah, it, I, I fully get it. And I think it, it's just funny watching this metronome go back and forth right first it was you know no they'd never they traded up and it was still no they'd never (laughs) and then they might take mac jones at three like they might have traded up to get mac jones and the world lost its mind and said ah maybe ah, i don't know and then it kind of it kind of went back the other way right people like no no I think Justin Fields had a second pro day and everybody was like, no, 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 they're, they're going to, they're going to do what you said, right? They're, they're going to go for elite physical talent. So if it's not Justin, maybe it's Trey, right? That's the wild card, but I, I, I don't think it's Mac. And then right at the end of last week, Michael Silver came out, a couple other people, and it starts to kind of go, yeah, they just might. And everybody's yeah. like, ah, and did you, did you again. See, uh, <laughs> did you see the very careful wording from Mike Silver there? And keep in mind, I know Mike. I used to work with Mike. Like, mm-hmm. the very deliberate wording of like, I have been told from NFL Network policy that I am not allowed to tip picks. Yeah. But what I think is going to happen is... yes. Yes, he danced his way around that, and and I don't blame him for that. Like, hey, whatever happens, happens. We had Mark Schofield on the pod. Everybody seemed to like that episode, rightfully so. We loved it. And he said, I'm a fan of chaos. I'm here for the draft chaos, right? I, I want to see it. Like, just, And I'm a little bit the same way because that's what makes the draft incredible. That's what makes the draft fun is, is we can all sit here for months and months and say, from what we see, from what we know, which is not what the coaches and the executives in San Francisco know, from what we think, this is nuts. And they're sitting there going, from what we think and what we know, this makes total and complete sense. And we are here and you are there and we get to turn in the card and you do not. And we're going to do it, right? We're going to do it because we believe. And look, if you trade up to three, you damn well believe, right? We can say, I think... You know, in this case, physical talent, elite physical athletic talent trumps all that other stuff. And they can sit there and go, you know, we think we can get enough out another way and that he has these other qualities that we prioritize, whatever they are. Right. And we can say, ah, baloney, but it's their jobs on the line. It's their families. They have to move if they get fired. And trust me, if they moved up to three for Mac Jones, they believe like it's not a dart throw and like, well, we'll get the third best quarterback. Like they moved deliberately for a reason with that in mind, because the top two have been fairly locked in for quite a while. Now we could have chaos there too. I doubt it. They moved to three to make sure they got their guy at quarterback. And if that guy's Mac Jones, they are sold on whatever reason it's obviously not our reason it's not what we do but they are they are locked in they are sold on whoever they pick you know what he would play for a long time there they'd win a lot of games they'd go on some deep runs will they win a super bowl i don't know i mean once you get to the playoffs anything can happen 
I, I wouldn't be surprised. But I will say this. Mac Jones in San Francisco versus Justin Fields in Carolina with Joe Brady and all those weapons and Matt Rule, who's a coach you and I believe in. That, I think, would be like the young NFC rivalry for a long time. Because if he gets past the Niners, Carolina is going to move heaven and earth. Like, they're not going to give a shit. They're going to move heaven and earth to go up and get him. Because they're never going to get it. Like, they're too good of a team. They're never going to get another shot. Ever. And Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta might take him. Uh, debate between him and Pitts. Maybe they would take him. Like, I, I could see it. But, like, if he gets to five, Carolina's going to five. Like, they're, they're absolutely going to five. Well, that's a pretty nice segue uh, into our nutty predictions segment, which is our next segment. We're gonna we're gonna come up with uh, some things that are, are a little bit out there, um, and I, I don't think that one's super out there. I, I tend to agree that Panthers know they need a quarterback, and if Justin Fields is there, like they're gonna do a lot, which which cracks me up because all the Bears fans are like, if he gets past four, and I'm like, if he gets past four. You, you got nothing. <laughs> you got nothing. If he gets past eight, now you can call Vic and and Vic may be set on taking him to to replace Drew Locke, right? But if he's not, that's the first time there's a there's a sort of crack in the curtain where if you're Chicago and and you know uh, a quarter one of the top five quarterbacks is falling and they get to nine, that's where you start lighting the phone up again. Chicago's picking at twenty. Uh, you know, Ryan Pace is going to throw a lot of things at that because hope sells and and he could use some hope. But all these people that are like, you know, if Justin Fields gets to five and I'm like, don't hold your breath. You got four more picks before it's anywhere even close to possible. So on to nutty predictions. I thought of some pretty wild ones and decided to just sort of combine to make my own little parlay here for the first round to make a nutty prediction. So I'm going to say two things that I don't think will happen in the first round and two things that I do think will happen in the first round. We're just going to wrap it into one big sort of parlay. Uh, So my parlay for the first round is no running backs or centers in round one, but one defensive tackle and one inside linebacker. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to win this, this nutty parlay, uh, no running backs or centers get picked in the first round and one defensive tackle and one inside linebacker get picked. So two negatives, two positives. If they all happen, there's my nutty prediction. And you know what? That's not even that nutty to me. No, but again, when you start throwing in, because here's the thing from 15 to 32, right? Usually from about 20 to 32, those last 12 picks names start coming up that people have said for months, he will never, right? And it's either he will never leave the first round or he will never get picked in the first round. Doesn't matter. Usually one on each side for whoever they replaced. Uh, but you start to see, if you go back and look at every draft for the last seven, eight, nine years, 20 to 32, those last 12 picks, that's where the variance starts to occur, where the boards start to diverge. People see different values and they go grab that guy they wanted. And everybody goes, oh, first rounder, what are you talking about? Happens every year, though. So 
I'll probably be all right to 18 or 20, and then I'll just kind of hold my breath because anything can happen after that. So my one nutty prediction, it's also a parlay. And to be honest, up until four days ago, I didn't think it was nutty until Twitter vehemently disagreed with me on both of these things. I was like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to parlay it together to decrease my odds. And I think qualify it as nutty. And that's Joe Tryon from Washington and Peyton Turner from Houston, both going in the first round. Ooh. Individually, I've been told by apparently everybody alive that that neither one of those things is going to happen. I think both of them happen. Okay. I could see. I almost, I almost made mine into some part of Peyton Turner making his way into Spag's defense. Because with the Chiefs moving to get an offensive tackle, that was kind of their lock for round one. Obviously, uh, the tackle position was in question. And this is a great tackle class. And and people were pretty much penciling in 32, right? Chiefs, like, great. They're going to go get a tackle, right? Well, they got a tackle. Now what are they going to do? And we talked with our buddy Craig Stout, who works at Arrowhead Pride, does their defensive analysis, actually, knows Spag's defense as well as anybody. And he was on Peyton Turner pretty early. I said he reminded me of Chris Jones, and he was like, you're not far off physically again. And I could see that. So the, the whole Peyton Turner thing going to Kansas City uh, kind of took new life when they went out and traded for Orlando Brown. And the Joe Tryon thing, I think he's a lot closer to the physical ideal and people go after physical ideals at his position, defensive edge or defensive end or edge, whatever you want to call it. Like Tryon is a guy that has the tools and speed that they're looking for. Maybe not the production. He opted out, which apparently turns some teams off. But I think there's better than average chance that somebody takes a swing on him especially at the end of the first round. Now, both of them would be interesting again because they kind of occupy the same space in the draft, same position, which would mean two defensive ends or edges go, you know, say, again, 20 to 32 is most likely. Um, that that stacks it up. I'll, I'll qualify that as nutty. You know where I got Peyton Turner going? Oh, your mock draft? Go ahead. 31 to the Ravens. Oh, yeah, because you look at their depth chart right now, like they don't really have. Yeah, and they edge guys. they low key love defensive ends and edges. Like they collect them. Uh, everybody gives you know certain teams garbage for collecting certain positions. Gettleman and his defensive linemen, and right, but the Ravens will generally take that talent. They usually take it a little bit farther on down. Um, I woke up. This is this is the life of a draft analyst. I woke up out of dead sleep the other night thinking about Boogie Basham going to the Ravens. It would absolutely fit. Yeah, it, like, I was just like, fit. ding, why didn't I think of that earlier? And then psh, back to sleep. So welcome, <laughs> welcome to my mental illness right before the draft. But um, the other one I'm going to put on just as a bonus, uh, which is just kind of like an extra bet, is that the OT run, the offensive tackle run, is going to be epic. And mm-hmm. so if you add up the whole first round and half of the second round, you get 48 picks. And I believe that eight of those first 48 picks are going to be tackle. Yeah, he's counting. He's like, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. I have six going in the first round alone. 
Uh, and I think that number might be five. Again, if you're jamming a couple of edges in there and a defensive tackle and and maybe a, an inside linebacker, that means probably one less offensive tackle might go. Um, you know, there's you still got to make space for those five or six quarterbacks and those we get up to our 60-player first round again, right? Every time somebody picks somebody you don't – you know, don't think should be there. Um, you know, and then there's always like the, Oh, Nick Bolton goes in the first round. Everybody's like, what? Hell no. I, I'm just saying there's always some hell no's that happen in the end. And that pushes players down because again, they don't expand the first round just because a team picked somebody you don't think should be there. So, uh, Jim, I'm Jim brought one up what today, by the way, cause Jim, Jim put out a tweet and he brought one up, uh, Pete Warner in the first round. Yep. And I, you know, I'm not terribly, you and I aren't terribly shocked by that because we think Warner is one of the more well-rounded inside or off-ball linebackers in this class, right? He can go forward, he can go backwards, he blitzes pretty well, he covers better than most of the inside linebacker class. Uh, He's got good size, obviously played at a big program in in a fairly complicated defense. So, yeah, I could see that. Uh, I didn't. That one didn't freak me out. There was somebody else in his list that I was more surprised by, but Warner wasn't the one that really sort of rattled my cage. But I'll I'll just say that eight in the first 48, which when you think about it is a lot for any position in terms of distribution. Um, eight of any one thing in the first 48 is a lot. Um, I think that's where the tackle class will end up. And if people start getting grabby because they're going off the board, it could easily be nine. Yeah, because you've got Penne, Slater. I'll just list them off. Penne, Slater, uh, Tevin, obviously, uh, Cosme, Forsythe, Christensen. Mm, I don't think Forsythe is a lock for the top round and a half. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think – I didn't count him in this one. I think oh, he will go yeah, probably oh. soon after that, but I don't think he's a lock for the top 48. In fact, if you look at most uh, mock drafts where he's currently going – He's, you know, he's top 100 now. He's just crept up into the top 100, but he started at like 160 and he crept his way up to like 140. And then he was 118 a couple weeks ago. And now that everybody's saying his name, he's maybe top 100, but that's still twice as many players as we're talking about here. We're talking about 48 spots. So So I I think he'll go right after. uh, I guess I'm way off consensus then because I have met 21 to the Colts. (laughs) I I love the guy. Um, I I'm, I think I'm he'd be a really good fit, but tw- yeah, I think 21's a little high just because of his limitations in the run game. But oh, that's the thing where I just kind of get a, get in the way, sort of. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big guy, and I would stand over there and make sure they don't <laughs> hit that other guy that's got the ball. Yeah, that thing. No, but Sewell, Slater, Jenkins, Derisaw, Cosme, uh, Raddens will probably go. Uh, Leatherwood probably go. Um, and then there's wild cards, uh, Jalen Mayfield, Jackson Carmen, not guys that I would take necessarily in the top 48. But again, if we see that, if we see the the damn crack open at the top of the second round and three or four go, people are going to start to panic and, and try and get the one they want. Um, very few GMs are comfortable with just sitting back, especially at a position of need that is a primary position in the passing league and just go, Oh, we'll just get one later. Like people get, people get panicky. It happens. And I could see another couple ripping off the board in the next, you know, 10 or 12 picks. And that would, that would do it. That would more than do it. Uh, Now, one last thing Uh, I did want to go over one or 
I guess in your case, a few players that we are higher on than will be drafted. Like we are fully aware <laughs> that these guys are going to go a lot lower than where we have them. But who's somebody that you are higher on than consensus that you know you're higher on than, than where they're going to be drafted that you feel in your bones is going to end up being a good steal? Yeah, and this this came back to the forefront because I was, again, watching running backs. But I, I started to think about a couple of guys, few guys, actually, from the same school. And I started to have the same feeling about all of them, that they were all individually underrated. I had started with Malcolm Kuntz, the edge from Buffalo. And I thought, you know, and I kept, you know, sort of doing the thing you do when you're stacking players, you watched a bunch and you have them stack and you watch another one. And you're like, where does he go? Is he, is he higher than this guy? Just watch that guy, this guy, this guy. And with Kuntz, he was a lot higher up than uh, certainly the consensus. And I thought, you know, he's, he's not a top tenor necessarily for me in terms of the edge class, but he's really good at a few things and he has a lot more value than where he's typically being picked uh you know mid 200s some some boards have him and i thought he's he's better than that and i just kind of let that go and then uh i was watching wide receivers and i got down to the bottom 27 28 29 guys deep and i had a note that antonio nunn was a guy that i should watch from buffalo and i went and i watched him and he's a very solid player he's not gonna blow you away physically but I get like serious Bobby Ingram vibes from that guy. He's in the right place. He runs slants all day long, catches along the edge. He's not that guy that's six three, six four, and he's gonna, you know, blaze down the edge, jump over somebody like T. Higgins and snag a ball 30 yards down the field. Not really his game, but he is a very solid receiver and he's on almost no boards. You see him a lot of times as a UDFA. And I'm like, mm, he's more productive than that. He can definitely slot in in the, in the sixth or seventh round as a third, fourth or fifth wide receiver that can come in and be productive. And then just a couple of days ago, I finally got to watching Jarrett Patterson running back from Buffalo. who's a little on the small side. He's five, nine, he's just over 200 pounds. And I thought, okay, he's you know, probably going to be limited just due to size. Let's go to the tape. <laughs> Jared Patterson is ridiculously talented. He is one of the better backs in this class at combining several moves together. He runs with tremendous power, especially around the goal line. He's one of those guys that just has that knack, runs with a ton of want to. He will get it across the line. And he is always just tacking moves together. And look, running backs been devalued. So I'm going to say that the Buffalo trifecta, all three of those guys, Coons, Nunn, and Patterson, are going to outperform where they get drafted because they're all going to get drafted down the board. Buffalo's not the biggest school, doesn't have the greatest competition. Um, but I'm going to say all three of those guys are going to make a bigger splash. And look, Nunn might be a UDFA, right? And I think he'll definitely outperform that. Uh, but the other two guys I really do think can be – contributors right off the bat so i'm gonna i'm gonna call all three buffalo players you know Kuntz specifically with his his like swipe move and bend there's less guy as good as this edge rushing class is there's less guys in this class that can do that specific thing than you think like there's a lot of you know that kind of inside outside you know the jonathan coopers the boogie bashams the cam samples there's a lot of those mm -hmm. guys but in terms of like three, four outside linebackers, two point stance, 
like uh, like Alex Highsmith last year. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of that kind of archetype this year. And like Koontz to me, like screams Steelers, screams three, four outside linebacker that you're bringing in for 25, 30 snaps a game just to be a, a fireball off the edge early in his yeah. career. And he sets the edge really well too. It's one of the things. He's is, not a bad, he's not a bad run defender at all. Yeah. You get that thing where everybody's like, Oh, how much bend does he have? What move does he have? And and you're talking about the swipe move. The other move that I love that's mesmerizing to watch him do is his sort of long arm lockout. And then mm-hmm. he'll just break the elbow and yeah. dip at the same time. And when he does it, the tackle just falls on nothing and he does it perfectly like he long arms they start to push back and right as they do he gets just enough resistance then he just lets it go completely dead arms dips underneath and goes around him and you know you combine that with a guy that can get out stack up a tight end for sure occasionally stack up tackles and really keep people from going wide or make them go very very wide kind of reverse field um that's a valuable guy that's a down eater right? That's a guy that can come in in a sub package and you know, he's going to do his role. Occasionally he's going to get some pressure. That's a bonus, but he's not going to let his side collapse and let the back go for 25 yards. So um, Koontz is a guy I think that is more valued in league circles than in the public circle. And, and we'll see on draft day, it's possible that he gets drafted a whole lot higher than I think. And I I'd be happy with that because I think he's a talented player, but I, I bet, He's going to get drafted down the board, and he's going to be one of those guys um, that comes in. I think about Carl Lawson, right? Yeah, rotational guy at first until he works his way into a bigger role. Like he's classic day two edge rusher pick that vastly outperforms where he's taken. Classic prototype for that. Uh, I'm going to do something similar to you and stick with two guys from the same school that I value very very highly the league might agree with me on one of them i'm not entirely sure but uh trey sermon and jonathan cooper so i don't have interesting i don't have a big three at running back i have a big four travis etienne is not in that big four trey sermon is wow okay (laughs) that's how much i like trey sermon wow you and i might have our first real disagreement i am not wild about sermon but cooper i like i'm with you on cooper so i love sermon okay love him i think if you miss out on naji and you miss out on javante and you still want a bigger back that has good feet uh, again he's not going to blow you away with long speed but the vision the feet the power he's not that far off those two other guys to me uh, and I understand like Travis Etienne, he's very fast. Like I have him in my tier two of running backs. I like Travis Etienne a lot. Uh, but I feel like there's nothing that Travis Etienne does that Michael Carter doesn't do. And that's, mm-hmm. that's run really fast, but the tackle breaking ability, not super great. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, effectiveness at running into stack boxes where you don't really have space to move and you just got to lower your pads and get extra yards. Not super great. Like if you're running into two high shells, uh, and you got space for days and Travis can get up to speed and burn some angles. You're, you're sitting pretty. Uh, but if you just got to work through the mud, Trey Sermon's my dude. I mean, he's, okay. he's a horse. He is a horse. All right. We'll have this discussion on draft day. I guarantee it. So, well, you know, who else, you know, you know who else is in my big four. So it's obviously Najee and Javante, which okay. I don't even care who you rank first out of those two. They're both sure. great. Trey and 
Khalil Herbert. Yeah, Khalil Herbert I like a lot. I don't know that he's going to make my top four. I, again, I haven't finished my whole running back of Palooza. Herbert I I love. Like, I love him a lot, um, much more than Sermon. Um, and I, I, too, think, like, Javante's great and Najee's great. They, they do a few things. I think Najee has more in the past game. Javante is a good receiver. Najee is a great receiver. Uh, and that, amazing. that means a lot in the modern NFL. So that sort of nudges him over. Um, but you know, Javante is, hmm, as, as a runner, this gets back to like the, the Nick Chubb thing, right? When this season, I would say Nick Chubb is the best running, running back in the league, right? If you're judging it from a running standpoint, Nick Chubb, nobody, nobody's close to Nick Chubb running the ball. Now, if you add in, uh, you know, pass catching and and down the field routes, Nick Chubb can be surpassed by a couple backs in the league. But in terms of just pure running, and I kind of feel that way, like Williams and and Najee, right? If you're just going pure running, like it's Williams for me in this class. Yeah, like, he's Nick Nick Chubb like in that way. Um, if you want to say, and again, it's flavor of the week, right? It's what teams like and what they want. Um, but yeah, Sermon is not going to sniff my top four. He's not going to be anywhere close. And that's the thing is I, I fully recognize I am higher than Trey Sermon than every other human being on this planet. Yeah, no, he's, he's not close, but Patterson, (laughs) I know I'm a lot higher. Um, I, I went into Patterson's tape. Sometimes you, you know, this, sometimes you go in and you're either you have no expectations or you have lower expectations and you're like, yeah, I know he's decent, whatever. And then you get surprised either positively or negatively like oh he's actually worse than i thought or hey that guy's a lot better than i thought i went in with pretty positive expectations i'd seen some patterson i watched buffalo last year i watched him a little bit this year and i liked his game i kind of had him as a guy marked and said yeah i like him he's i think he's good right good (laughs) i came out like with a full page of notes from two games and more demonstrated skills than probably the seven or eight backs I'd done before him and was like, this guy's underrated. Like, I don't care where you have him. This guy's underrated. Um, And I just finished right before we started recording this, another guy that's a little bit like that, who I liked and had on my list and said, yeah, I think he's good. And that's Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon state. And there's two guys out of Oregon. He's not only a hammer though. He's got some real bursts, right? When he gets light to the second level, he doesn't look like it because he's a little bit shorter and there's something about his stride that just doesn't look like he's going very fast. But on the very first play versus Oregon, where he had a million yards in that game and was because his first run in that game was an 82 yard touchdown. He slides through, he does this great little cut up right-hand side and he sort of slithers through what, what looks like a pretty good defensive run fit. And as soon as he's like just out the backside of that, he's still got secondary players around him. And you think, okay, well, that was, that was more than I thought he was going to get there. He turns it on and dusts them all and nobody catches him for 82 yards. And Oregon secondary, not slow. Like most of those guys are getting drafted. And he just does it. It's right when he breaks through, he... He hits the juice. It doesn't look like it, though. You're like, but he's moving faster and breaking angles and guys just kind of go in his wake. So Jefferson and then the other guy is Hamaka Rashid, who's the sort of edge rusher, outside linebacker, do it all guy. 
a guy that I watched and was like, I don't know why people aren't like, again, you said it in this edge class, more excited about this because he's got a really good variety of skills. Now he didn't test great. He didn't test terrible. Uh, but that guy has effect all over and defensive coordinators love guys that they can do that with. So I actually think both of the Oregon state guys are going to be in the same category. They're going to get drafted lower uh, really Jefferson, just cause he's a running back and Rashid. I don't know. He he's a wild card. I would love to see what the league just, thinks uh, of him. I just looked up his pro day numbers just cause I was curious. Yeah. So he is uh, other than size, like dead average in virtually every category. So it's six to 250, mm-hmm. which again, a little bit undersized, but 10 inch hands, 33 and a half inch arms, dead average for the position mm-hmm. uh four six two in the 40 these days it's dead average <laughs> well, mm-hmm. maybe not 10 years ago but these days it is 25 on the bench solid 35 and a half vertical solid you know 128 in the broad so that's a 10 8 in the broad actually way above average for that yeah uh but he did have a seven five one three cone which kind of balances it out so right. like his res must be like five on the dot <laughs> uh i think <laughs> it's in the sixes it. but it's it it is it is not at a position where you want inspiration from athletic scores, it's not terribly inspiring. It's not check him off the board, but what it, it kind of reflects to me how he plays. He is good at a, at a lot of things. You'll see him win a lot of sort of effort rushes. He's not the guy that's going to win, you know, like Aziz Ojolari, like first bend around the corner, that flashy rush. That's not typically his, he's going to do that. He's going to reverse field. He might push somebody cause he's pretty strong. And then, catch the quarterback coming up in the pocket. He does that a lot, kind of a Max Crosby-ish effort, right? You're not going to win necessarily on the first move, but you're going to keep at it and you're going to win. He sets the edge really well. He can cover because he's long and he's fast enough in the short area. And you see him do all those things. And I thought, man, for that versatility at that spot, not enough people are saying his name. And I'll just be fascinated on draft day to see whether what I see holds up with teams uh whether some team values him much higher than what i thought or whether he falls and somebody gets a value way down the board i don't know i would not want to have to bet on that or set odds because i would set like a four round range um (laughs) because he just it it's sort of all over he's a fascinating study so if you haven't looked at him go take a look but uh both jamar jefferson and hamilcar rashid are players that i like uh, a lot and I think higher than so Buffalo will be my first tier school and and Oregon State will be my backup I think all those guys might overperform their draft slots well EJ we have a very special guest this week that is the great Dane Brugler uh, he was kind enough to take some time join us talk draft it was great conversation uh, we'll have to have him back on again because it was it was a phenomenal discussion about a wide variety of draft topics So why don't we hit our ad break real quick, we'll reset, and we'll come back and talk to Dane. This week's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. Purple Mattress has been the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now, and it's all because of their own unique patented technology, the Purple Grid. The Purple Grid has over 1,800 open-air channels that keep you cool and comfortable throughout the night, and they're highly flexible to relieve pressure on your body, no matter your size and no matter how you sleep. 
I can tell you from experience, having felt that grid myself when they sent me and EJ samples, that it's an extremely cool design. The vertical channels don't look like they can support weight, but then you feel it and you kind of understand how the physics works. It, it, it doesn't look structurally sound, but trust me, it is. And it's really, really cool technology. And it's also not hot at all because of all those channels. So it's really comfortable, especially in those hot summer months. I personally love it. It's a really, really great mattress. And in fact, Purple is so confident in their mattress that every single order comes with a 100-night risk-free trial. And every single mattress also ships for free and is delivered right to your door. And at the end of your trial, if you're not completely satisfied, they'll come pick it up at no cost to you. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to purple.com bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. And for a limited time with that code, you'll get 10% off of any Purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com slash bootleg10, promo code bootleg10 for 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. Joining us now here on the Bootleg Football Podcast, we have Dane Brugler from The Athletic, who puts together probably the most comprehensive draft guide around in terms of number of total prospects, amount of depth, lovingly referred to as the beast. Uh, welcome, Dane. Thank you for joining us. This is uh, this has been an interview I've been looking forward to a while just because of the amount of guys that you watch every single year. I, I don't know anybody else that does. For people that are not familiar with The Beast, how many people did you get through this year? How many pages was it? Uh, and how long did it take you to put it together in totality? It's a year-round process. It really is. It's something that I'm starting right now on next year, uh, 2022, guys, uh, gathering the information, talking to people, uh, you know, just to – lay the groundwork for these guys. Um, and it's not like, you know, don't get my guide because I'm going to nail every player. That's not why you get it. You get it because I think it could be a resource. Um, you know, I, I do put a lot of thought into, uh, you know, the background. Um, you know, at my heart, I'm an NFL draft fan, a huge NFL draft fan. So I'm going to make something that I would want to read, that I would pay for, that I would want to consume. And so all the relevant information data that I care about is in there. I want to know how many games he started as a redshirt freshman. I want to know what are the sports he played in high school. I want to know how old he is to, you know, the hundredth uh, decimal. Uh, you know, I want to know all this stuff. It's important to me um, because I think that in order to know where these guys are headed, we need to know where they came from. We need to know, uh, you know, just everything about them as, as much as we can within reason. So, you know, it's, um, you know, this year was a little unique, obviously. Uh, it's a shortened class. Uh, we don't have as many guys this year. Usually I try to I get to close to 500 prospects. This year, I, I kind of tapped out at 415 because we didn't, we just don't have as many guys. Uh, I, I love this tapped out. That's awesome. I tapped out at 400 plus. Well, you know, oh it's, it, trust me, it, it, my goal is if, if a player is drafted and his name is not in the draft guide, I, I'm in a bad mood for a while because uh, I'm not doing my job right. Um, you know, last year, uh, the Patriots, they, they took that Marshall kicker. <laughs> it's always, and it's always the I, Patriots. I, yeah, that, that, then that Marshall kicker, the, the controversial kicker, uh, you know, he, I, he did not have him in there. And to be honest with you, I do not scout kickers or punters. I take a list that a team gives me that, you know, basically their 
long snapper, kicker, punter rankings. And I just use that because uh, I, I don't know what I'm looking at when we talk about the specialists. So, uh, but he wasn't in there and I was, I was not happy about it, but th- that's the goal every year is to make sure that uh, every player is in there. Um, uh, one thing I'm very proud about with this year's guide is all the pro NFL verified pro day data is in there for every player. Um, and with no combine, you know, I think it's e- even more important this year to know, okay, just, you know, what are the exact measurements, height, weight, uh, you know, hand size, arm, uh, the 40, uh, all those things, you know, that's obviously not the, uh, most important thing for these players, but it helps add context, uh, you know, the, the quantitative data. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a really interesting class. It's a condensed class, but there's still plenty of talent, uh, especially at the top. So it's going to be a lot of fun in two weeks when uh, we kick this thing off. Do you think that by next year, you're going to put GPS data for everybody? Instead of it's coming, you know, that's, that's the new, going to be the new normal. No question. Um, you know, I think as that stuff becomes more the norm and becomes readily available, uh, absolutely. I, I think that's going to be, that's, that's the future. And, you know, I've, I've talked with, uh, different companies just to get, you know, to understand what they're doing, understand, uh, what their, what their purpose is and what they're planning on doing. And, uh, you know, they, they're doing some really interesting stuff. And I think by the time in a couple of years, we're going to have that data from the last few years that we can, uh, you know, make those comparisons. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's the future, but you know, that, that future is not, not too far away. Uh, as soon as next year, within the next three years, I, I think it'll be more of the norm that we're using the GPS data and, you know, how fast were they on the field and, uh, you know, within the context of their routes or, uh, you know, uh, different, different things, different angles, um, you know, degree points. When we talk about pass rushers or blockers, it, it, it's not going to stop. It's not going to slow down. It's only going to expand the way we kind of, you know, use mathematics and different metrics to, to look at the game. What is the fastest GPS measurement in miles an hour top speed you've ever seen? Because we saw one a couple of weeks ago that was, we didn't even think was possible. Was it what, like over 23, 24? It was 24. Uh, 24. 24, yeah. <laughs> it was 24 I, something. And I was like, is this right? I've never even seen 24. And there's some really fast guys that have been measured by yeah. GPS. And again, you don't get the full ranking. But when you see something like that as an outlier and it was on field, it wasn't wasn't workout data. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That's a thing, right? There's just nobody that fast. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, I think 23, seven, I think that was the fastest I ever saw. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. I can't remember. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. Murray and Terry, I think Terry hit like 23, okay. eight in 2019 on a touchdown where he, okay. just, he split, split a double. I, I just remember cause the, the big thing with Tamari and Terry's top was that he beat out Tyreek Hills personal best. Not, Just not a bad he, guy to he, beat out. When he gets up to full stride, you know, like Tyree oh, yeah. will get there quicker, but when right. Terry's top end is just ridiculous. He's fascinating. He's a fascinating prospect. He might not go until day three and, you know, I, easy. I love him. play that. Sure. Yeah. Easy. I think he's easy to love. Yeah. I think he's obviously consistency is something that you worry about, but in a wide receiver class like this, it's tough because uh, he's such a loaded group. And so, you know, how do you stack them? Where where does he fit compared to a, a Diami Brown or you know some of these all all these guys that offer something a little bit different? So it, it's a really fun wide receiver class, no doubt. Yeah, my favorite thing about Terry is because of where you're going to pick him, 
with the question about injury and the question about consistency is he plays special teams. That guy is a demon gunner. He is yeah. so skilled in that area. And if you're going to have a guy that you're going to pick in the fourth, the fifth, the sixth as a wide receiver, he better play special teams early in the league. And Terry's got that on his resume in spades. It's just awesome. So. No, I say he's, you know, you look at the yards per catch that he's averaging over his grade. And I think you kind of had to throw out 2020. Uh, that seemed like kind of the outlier year for him, but 2018, 2019, you know, he's averaging over 20 yards a carry over those two years. Uh, and it's just, he's got that stretched out frame. So he can make plays outside of his frame because he has that length to him, uh, 33 and a half inch arm. I mean, they're, Rashawn Slater's jealous of his arm length. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> the strides that he plays with, like you were saying, uh, you know, that, that, that speed is, you know, it comes right from his stride. So easy player to like, I'm, you know, there's, there's some split opinions around the league on him. Just, you know, the, you know, the, 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 uh, medical stuff, the durability, um, you know, just the, the personality stuff, it, it's all split, but if he goes to the right spot, he could absolutely outplay where he's drafted. Since you've done like 450 guys and, you know, you have rough estimations, at least for 450 guys about where they stack up next to each other and in, in, uh, within position. I mean, it's, it's hard to, you know, do nine games of every single guy and, and right. know exactly what they're going to be. But since you've seen 450, is there somebody that sticks out to you that is it can be any position any value, somebody that sticks out to you that's way undervalued and somebody that sticks out to you that's way overvalued, like two or three rounds of above or below consensus in your opinion. Um, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not a Kellen Mond guy. Um, I, I don't know where you guys are on him. Uh, I, I, I get We're the opposite. intrigue. <laughs> oh, you love him. Well, it's he not loves, love. He loves him. I, I, <laughs> I like him for what he is, which is in the in the lower half of this quarterback class, if you're looking for a guy that you think you can get something out of down the road, not as a starter mm -hmm. necessarily, but as that very solid number two who can come in and win you three or four games, I think that guy's Kellen Mond because of the tools, okay. because of his increase. No, he's, he's not a starter. I'm not trading up to get him. In fact, if you're getting him in the second, which is probably where somebody's going to have to pick him just based That's on it. demand, exactly. not right. on talent, I'm not wild about it. Right. But in terms of what's left, that's where I like him. But he is one of the most polarizing players in this class. When you say, what do you think of Kellen Mond? You get this. Right. And, and that's the thing is you he's going to go in the second round. Um, at least that's what I'm told. That's what you know, that that's the buzz on him around the league. Um, and I get the intrigue with him. He's a good athlete and with a strong arm. And I, you you the highlights are really impressive. And I think it depends on which tapes you watch really, because you throw on the, you know, just from the 2020 season, throw on the Florida tape and he's making plays. He's layering throws. He is playing at a high level, deep into the game, helping uh, A&M beat Florida and pull the upset. But then you throw on the LSU tape and it's just like, who is this guy? He, he doesn't look anything like the same player that I just watched from the Florida tape. And it just, it's a struggle. Um, and I, there are some people around the league you know, some GMs who subscribe to the theory that, okay, if I've seen him do it once, I know he can do it and we can coach the rest out of him. And that's why he's going to end up going in the second round where there's other schools of thought. They're saying, you know, some guys are just not consistent players and you're not going to coach that into them. And so with quarterbacks, obviously there's so many variables that go into it uh, that make it why it's just such a hard position to evaluate. But 
I, I don't know. For me, I just didn't see that necessary consistency I was looking for in a in a, a guy that I'm going to have to use a top 100 pick on uh, to think that. Because if I'm drafting a quarterback in the top 100, I mean, I, I'm doing so with the idea that he's going to start games for me at some point. And so I just don't see a guy that I'm necessarily going to feel comfortable with uh, drafting that early. But he's, he's going to go that early. So I, I think in some respect – He's a little overvalued, uh, but I don't know. I, I know plenty of smart people that I, I trust that that disagree with me. Yeah, I think he's as a second a rounder, it's not great. Uh, you know, but again, <laughs> yeah. the, we talk about the tapes. So. Yeah, right. quarterback's going to push up value. Position, positional priority is going to push him into a place where I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. But like you said, it depends on the tape. He definitely has good tapes and bad tapes. You get in the one we talk about a lot is Alabama, right? Through the second and third quarters of Alabama, he is tearing Alabama a new one. Like yeah. he is he is doing all the things you said. He's layering throws. He's throwing an anticipation. Um, he's making it look easy. But again, on the ends of even that performance in that game, it didn't end that well. So right. he had this great stride, but I can see people saying, again, both sides of school. And this is one of the one of the reasons why draft analysis and trying to pick especially what a great landing spot is, is so hard is because decision makers value different things. Right. Yeah, no, that's well said. And uh, to answer the other side of the question. Uh, you know, who I think may be undervalued. I, I think some of these tackles uh, in this class, it's it's such a good tackle group. I mean, it's loaded, right? And um, I, I think after you get past that first wave and that second wave, and we start talking about third round picks, like I love Stone Forsythe, um, you know, as a guy that belongs in the top 80 conversation. Uh, you know, for a guy that's 6'8", 307, I wish you were a little bit better run blocker. But in pass protection, he just he doesn't lose very often. Uh, you know, outstanding mm-hmm. length, 34 and a half inch arms. Um, you know, he's not the most nimble player, but you still don't see him beat very often. Um, you know, and then even deeper, guys like Jalen Moore from Western Michigan. I think he can start games in this league. Um, uh, the Nebraska kid, uh, Hymas, Brendan Hymas. Oh, I, I think he's I, sorry, go ahead. I like the the other. So is it is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I'm gonna like trust him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks yeah. like James. It's Hymas, yeah. Hymas. Right. Okay. I didn't I thought it was James, but I was looking it, it at looks, him. Yeah. Uh, That's I've been saying like. James the whole time, so I learned something already. We're good. <laughs> Brandon Thornton turned me on to him. Yeah. And so I watched him after Brandon Thornton watched him. I was like, damn, this dude can play. Like he's gonna be a day two tackle that, as you said, could probably start. Right. Do you have I, like um do you have like a pound the table guy at offensive line where it's like I I am not leaving the draft without this guy. It can be any round, any sub-position within offense. But is there one that you've fallen in love with completely that you have convinced yourself you have to draft at all costs? Um, you know, I like a lot of these guys. Uh, I mean, I, at center, it's a, it's a really good interior offensive line class. Um, you know, Quinn Miners, I'm a D3 guy. So <laughs> I, I got a, spot, a soft spot for those guys. You know, I was – I, I was a senior at Mount Union with uh, with Pierre Garcon uh, and, mm. you know, watching him play at a high level and then go on the NFL. I mean, that, so I'm a D3 guy at heart. And so seeing Quinn Miners, and I, to be honest with you, I didn't love his tape. I thought it was good. I thought it was draftable, but I didn't necessarily love the tape. But then, you know, not having a 2020 season and being able to work out with Duke Manyweather and reshape mm-hmm. his body and get his mind right – uh, and then show up at the senior bowl and just completely dominate everybody he went up against center and guard. 
I'm all in on Quinn Miners. I mean, he's a starter in this league. He's the, you know, I, I, he's, I bet you he's going to go 55 in the second round of the Steelers play for, you know, 12 years. And it's just going to be that fit that, you know, just, we look back and say, how'd he fall to the Steelers, you know, and, and there, there's a chance. And if he goes earlier, he'll be, I think the record for the highest drafted D three players, 51, I believe. So, you know, he could Ollie even pet probably. Uh, no. Uh, oh shoot. Who was it? Cause Marpet went, I think in the sixties, um, I can't remember. Uh, Newberry, maybe. I, I think he was uh, the mm. highest drafted D3 player. Um, and then another center that I really like is Kendrick Green um, out of Illinois, who center, guard, this dude, he, he, the way he moves is just so smooth. So he, he, he's very quick. Um, you know, so I think for a, a zone team that's looking for that interchangeable center, guard, Kendrick Green, I think, is going to be a great fit. And you see that former wrestling background. Uh, you know, yeah. you see a guy that's tenacious, uh, and so he has the right play personality to him. Um, so I, I, this is a really underrated, I think, interior offensive line group. Uh, just there's so many good players that in the right fit. I mean, Drew Dahlman's a good player, and yeah. you know, he might he, he might be drafted out. Yeah, it, he might not go in the top 100, and then a team. Uh, right outside the top 100 is going to get a really good player who can start games in this league. So I just, it's a really good group of players. Yeah. The, the league needs it and it's coming along at the perfect time. This sort of tidal wave of offensive talent, both athletically with depth, uh, the ability to get starters day two, possibly even day three. Um, Certainly if you're talking about internal offensive line, interior offensive line guard center you're gonna get guys in day three that start um and i was waiting for you to say dalman green's a great one i think the bears could be very interested in green because they have that need to want to back up get competition for mustafer he played right up the road for lovey right. he's got positional versatility wrestling background they certainly have had success with centers that know how to wrestle um <laughs> so uh, there's just the league needs it and it's coming along right at the right time if your team needs offensive line this year you're in luck or wide receiver i mean those are two positions where if those are your needs good yep. on you yep no doubt or, and i think uh, you throw a corner in there and i think that's probably the most uh, or the best positions in this year's draft in terms of talent and then just overall depth um you know i i think you probably throw quarterback in there just because it's rare that we're going to see five quarterbacks in the top 10 uh i mean it's never happened before so quarterback wide receiver corner uh and then offense tackle and interior offensive line i think yeah those are i mean and, and pass rusher I, I think even though it's a pass rush group where we don't have that chase young we don't got we don't have miles garrett we don't have the bosa brothers but uh and so we're, we're probably not gonna have that top 10 uh pass rusher uh who's taken to the top 10 but outside of that pick between picks you know, 18 and 75, there's a lot of intriguing pass rushers who uh, are going to be able to help a squad pretty early. Um, you know, I'm an Aziz Adjulari guy. I think he's a top pass rusher in this class. Uh, at 20 years old, you're leading the SEC in sacks, tackles for loss, forced fumbles. You're doing something right. And I know he doesn't, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's 6'2", 250, but 34 and a half inch arms, you know, you had the length of a 6'5", dude. Uh, you know, I, I'm feeling good about what, how you're going to translate. Um, and he can play the run. He's an instinctive player. I don't think he gets enough credit for yeah. that. People just think he's a more of a one-trick pony who's just going to use speed off the edge. But he's more than that. So Aziz Adjulari, big fan of him. And then just how this pass rush group will stretch. 
you know, you can get Peyton Turner in the second round. Uh, you know, Joe Tryon from Washington's a little bit of an underrated guy because he was an opt-out, but uh, but he can play. So this pass rush group uh, is, is some quality players as well throughout the first three rounds. Something that I've noticed that Loki has a lot of depth is off-ball linebacker. We've been hearing for two years now, it's Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons. Right. I know for a fact that he's not seen as the de facto number one linebacker around the league. A lot of people are in on Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Mm-hmm. Some teams are not in on him at all, but the teams that are in on him absolutely love him. Um, I personally think that Jamin Davis, Pete Werner, like you put them uh, on the right team, they could outproduce a guy like Micah Parsons. Just when you look at, A, they're both really athletic, and I think their instincts are better. Then you have, you know, a guy that I personally consider a little bit of a wild card because it's hard to kind of translate the system he played in in college to the NFL, and that's Zayvon Collins. Yeah. But you go down the line, I mean, you got Cam McGrone, who played like one healthy game in 2020, but he was phenomenal in 2019. Mm-hmm. You have Baron Browning, who didn't have a whole lot of great tape, but he's an athletic freak. freak. Yeah. I, I mean, there's like... 15 off-ball linebackers that I think are going to see significant snaps in the first couple seasons here. Uh, And it seems like everybody has them ordered very differently. A, what do you think of Parsons? And B, is it weird that I have him as like my fourth or fifth linebacker? Well, tell me why. I mean, tell me why you you have Parsons a little bit lower than, than, than most people. I just feel like, okay, so when you look at, uh, like people look at the Memphis game and they say, oh my God, look at all these tackles for loss. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's a run blitz. Like the defensive line was slanting and literally just parting the seas for him to go get these tackles for loss when he's shooting in the backfield. He runs four three, that's fine. But then when you actually have to watch him play linebacker and it's like, okay, uh, it's outside zone and he's got a right guard from Ohio state coming right at him. And he can see that his one tech got reached. And so instead of, you know, looking at the guard overshooting his landmark and backdooring it and going to make a play, he's like, Nope, I'm going to sit in this B gap and I'm going to trust everybody else to fill the cutback lane rather than, you know, being a linebacker and doing my job and being instinctive. And I feel like he's so rigid in his assignments where it's like he, he does them. But I I don't see him play with like the same kind of creativity that I'll see from you know Davis wrong arming a pulling guard, Owusu Koromoa you know olaying Deontay Brown on the second level and making a tackle that he had no business making. Like I just don't see any creativity in Micah Parsons' game, and I, I just I don't know how to project him in the NFL. Yeah, and it's tough when you factor in. Okay, he was a pass rusher in high school. You know, he's a defensive end. And they move him to off ball at Penn State. And two years, he leads the team in tackles both years. Uh, but then he's an opt-out. And so we're missing a year of development there. Uh, and that's an issue. Um, there, there's a lot to like there. Uh, just the, the raw athlete. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that if you're going to bet on the athlete and just how twitched up he can be uh, in terms of just going. And you know, for a guy that's 6'3", 246, I mean, he's he's three pounds less than Aziz Adjulari. You know, he's basically uh, the mm-hmm. size of a defensive end almost. Um, so he he's a big dude running a four three under seven seconds in the three cone. So you know, you see that. 
I, there are times where you you he's he he he's playing through a straw. You know, you, you want him to widen his vision a little bit more, anticipate the play design, and not just follow the ball. I 100% agree with that. And I think it comes down to, okay, how much is he going to learn and develop and how much is he just, he is what he is. Um, and if he is just, he is what he is, what does that mean? And what kind of role does he play? So he is a, a really complicated player and just a really talented player, but I get it. I do. And I, I think with Owusu Koromoa, you have to understand where you're going to play him in your defense. You know, you, you can't draft him and say, we'll figure it out later. You have to have a role in mind. Your defensive coordinator has to be on board. He was perfect in that Rover uh, uh, role for Notre Dame and Clark Lee's offense or Clark Lee's defense uh, where, you know, you line him up in the slot, you let him be that explosive blitzer off the edge. You can do all these different things. And, you know, he allows you, gives you the flexibility to you know, toggle between your base and nickel and your dime, your different personnel packages because he can do so much for you. He doesn't need to leave the field. Um, there, I, I think when you look at Awusu Koromoa, he could easily be the first linebacker drafted somewhere in the top, mm-hmm. you know, eighteen picks. Um, Zayvon Collins to me, he's he's the perfect Patriot. I, I think you look at a guy that's six five, two sixty. That's exactly yeah. what Bill Belichick's looking with the versatility that he offers, the athleticism. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he leads the team in sacks. He led the team in interceptions. Uh, He had a few blocked kicks on his resume. Uh, Two of those picks he had this year went back for six points. So he just does so much, and you feel like he's still feeling it out, like he's still getting better. So I I think he's the perfect Patriot. He just screams Bill Belichick there at 15. So I think Zayvon Collins could be the first linebacker drafted. And then Jamin Davis. Uh, I, I'm not as high on him as, as some other people. I like him a lot. I think he's, you know, a top 40 pick. Um, I, I see a Zach Cunningham clone who, I mean, someone told me that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you had the same, same thought, which, yeah, that's, I, we're seeing the same thing with him. Just a, he's going to be a good quality but player. Faster. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, he is faster. <laughs> and yeah, that, that pick six against 10 Tennessee showed that. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, this linebacker crew, I, I think your, your point, your original point about this linebacker group, it's, it's just a really, uh, it, it's a good group at the top in terms of these first round picks, these these top fifty picks. But then you know, in, in the second round, third round, fourth round, uh, you know, Baron Browning, so intriguing. I mean, I, 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 being an Ohio guy, I mean, I it was you know, I, I keep track of some of the recruits here, and you know, he's from Fort Worth, goes to Ohio State. He was a five star guy, freaky athlete. You didn't always see it at Ohio State, but when you did, it, it was impressive. Some teams look at him as a designated pass rusher. Some teams look at him mm-hmm. as uh, you know more of that Sam who you know you're, you can just do a, f- a few different things with because you know he can cover a tight end. He can um, you know you can be a little flexible with uh, how you deploy him. Um, I'm a fan of Tony Fields uh, on day three. I think he's really instinctive, really active. Uh, love the way he. Uh, is always pursuing the football. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is a fun linebacker group, and you, you can find some quality depth if you don't get your guy early. I love Fields. Fields is a guy I found just a couple of weeks ago as I was going through the bottom half of the off-ball linebacker class, and I thought, man, if you miss out on JOK, like you set your sights on Tony Fields because he's same mold, 220, can play going forwards, can play going backwards, is a ridiculous blitzer at his size. I mean, he'll take people on. I compared him to a Wolverine in my notes because he's ferocious and go. annoying, <laughs> right? He is he is not backing down from anybody, and he's stacking up guys that are, you know, 265, 275, and they're like, what does this guy do? And he's like, 
I'm here to do my job, right? My (laughs) job is to go forward on this play and he's got the speed to go backwards. And he was a, he was a sort of one of those revelations when I'm sure you get this going through as many guys as you do. Cause I go through a lot less where you're sort of, you hit two or three in a row that just aren't doing it for you. And all of a sudden you pop on a guy with very little expectation. You're like, look at this. This <laughs> is the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah, I yeah, love that feeling. It, and it always comes along at the right time. Oh right? yeah. You're, yeah. You might go through a few guys where you're just like, I, I just don't see it. What a, it, it, this tape is boring. Like I, I, you know, he's fine. He's an okay player, but he's not, he's just not doing it for me. And then, yeah, you turn on a guy and he'd say, all right, it's, you know, it, it, it's one o'clock in the morning, but I'm, I'm Jack now let's, let's go play. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's the best feeling in the world. No, no question. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a nine-year-old and he sleeps right out there. And more than once he's come through that door and he's like, you know, in his underwear <laughs> and his blanket, he's like, dad. Right. Seriously. Really? Could you, could you not hoot? at like 1130 <laughs> at night because somebody's oh, right. 80 yard touchdown and you're like oh was that yeah, that sorry that's what was my outside voice silent hill again yeah, yeah. that was my oh, outside you know, voice whoops I, i've had that too yeah i've got my, my kids are five and four and yeah my my, my five-year-old to come in here and he's like what are you what are you yelling at what are you what are you talking about and yeah, why is the yellow line not on the field what, what are you watching like you know he just all, all these questions that great I, question know, uh, right. I, I need uh, I need to groom him. I need a scouting assistant. So I, I need to work on that this offseason. Uh, mine's nine. And he is he, this. This is the first year that he's starting to ask those questions. What's nice. that guy trying to do? Not like, what are you doing, dad? Now it's like, who are right. you watching? And he looked down and I taught him that, you know, uh, home team is always the second team. So he's like, they're playing at Florida. And I'm like, Very good. You know, so <laughs> it, it comes. It happens. That's great. No, that's, should, that, that's the uh, best. You should show him Ohio State trying to cover Devonta Smith with tough Borland and see if he figures <laughs> out that that's probably not a good idea. Yeah, the kids are brutally <laughs> honest about this. They're, lo- they're looking at the guy. He's like, "You're looking at that guy." You're like, "Yeah." He's like, "He's slow." <laughs> uh, yeah, I was trying to come up with like 25 words to say that, but I think I'll just write yours. He's slow. Um, Sometimes that's as yeah, that, that's what it is. That's it. Yeah. No, that's good times. Um, any parting shots uh, for our audience? If they're not following you already, they absolutely should be. Again, most of his work can be found at The Athletic. But what else do you do? Because that is, you're a busy guy. That's not all you do. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it revolves around The Athletic. That, that's the main gig. Um, but you can find all my content on Twitter at DP Brugler. Um, you know, I the draft guide is really the main thing. Uh, you know, I try to make it accessible to everybody and uh, I really hope everyone checks it out. Cause I, I, again, if you like the NFL draft, I don't, I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Um, there's something in there for everybody. And, and like I said, it's a resource. So on, on draft day, when your, uh, your favorite team drafts, uh, you know, Jalen camp out of Georgia tech in the seventh round, <laughs> you'll, you'll go in the draft guide and realize, Oh, okay. Special team. That's why we drafted him. You know, he, he's, yeah. you know, six, two, two twenty runs like right, a deer. Exactly. Yeah. He can fly and he's got the mentality for it. So, you know, I, I think all those, all those details are really important. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not, I hate using the word expert. I'm not an expert. I just, uh, you know, I love doing this. I have a passion for it. And, you know, I, I put the time in, put the work in. So, um, you know, hit me up on Twitter. Let's have a conversation about these guys and uh, let's talk about it. So I, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and uh, just kind of talking about these guys. I really love, uh, really love doing that. Yeah, thank you for coming, man. You're the, you're the hardest working man in draft media and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come on. Well, any time. Let's do this again. That was an awesome 
discussion with Dane. Uh, we had a blast talking to him. Uh, he does such good work and specifically does a lot of work. He, he looks at more guys than <laughs> than anybody else. So it, he's a horse, man. That guy oh, yeah. is it's and he's done this for years. Like that's the thing with Dane is that's how he got this gig. That's how he continues to do this gig. Nobody's caught him. He's just he's out in front there. And my favorite thing about our interview with him was his questions. Right. A lot of times we ask questions and it sparks good conversation. We go back and forth. But a couple of times during that interview, he turned to you and turned to me and said, why? Right. Why? Why do you have him there? Why do you like that? And not in a in an aggressive or an attacking way, but you can just tell there's that curiosity that drives his work. That's why he got into the business and he still wants to know, like, what did you see? Um, yeah. Much like our conversation about the running backs before before the interview, right, is what's different? Like, how did you see that? What did I mean? You can tell that curiosity still just burns in him. And great guest. Uh, we'll definitely have him back on. He had a great time. We had a great time. And, and we hope you really enjoyed it because he is one of the most well-versed voices in in all of Draftum. So, EJ, we have uh, a lot coming up this week. It might be selling it short. <laughs> well, a little but bit a lot coming up this week especially for fans of bootleg wednesday night uh from 5 to 7 p.m pacific which is 8 to 10 eastern we have kind of a draft uh pre-draft q a live stream so you guys can come on hang out with us ask us questions uh you know any think of it as a party to blow off steam yeah. before the draft we're finally right on the eve of the draft um, we just want to give you, you folks a chance to hop in and say, Hey, and, and have a drink with us and, and ask some questions. We'll get to as many of them as we can. And then the following day, Thursday, which is day one of the draft at 4 PM Pacific's at 7 PM Eastern, we're starting our draft coverage live stream where we're going to be reacting to every single pick, but an hour beforehand, we'll kind of, you know, get situated, answer some questions, uh, hopefully if there's any, you know, some last minute bombshell news, we can react to that. Cause it seems like every single draft, there's always something that comes out Thursday morning, uh, Friday, we'll do the same thing. That'll be at 3 PM Pacific. So 6 PM Eastern one hour before day two starts all the way through the end of day two. I don't know how long after the end of round one and after the end of round three that we'll be doing them, but probably a good amount to react and answer questions and everything like that. So I don't know, figure five hour live stream, something like that each day. And then Saturday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific, 11.30 a.m. Eastern. That is going to be kicking off our day three stream, which if I remember correctly, last year went nine, nine and a half hours. Went really long. So we're only going to kick it off 30 minutes early on day three. I know we're sorry. So an hour before day one, an hour before day two, when we get to day three, starts a little bit earlier uh, for us, certainly on the West Coast. But that'll be a 30 minute prior to the draft start. Again, we'll sort of catch up, go over the boards really quick. Who's left some of the big news points, and then it'll kick off. And that day is fast and furious uh, round four to round seven. Um, and we'll probably cut off pretty quickly after that because we we'll both start to have to track the UDFA market. Um, but we wanted to let everybody know with all four of those pieces of content, Wednesday through Saturday, Super Chats are going to be on. And typically, if you've been around for one of our Q&As, we try and answer 
every super chat. We really appreciate everybody's support of the channel. Uh, and in one of those regular Q and A's, we can do that in the draft. It's going to be a little bit different draft weekend is the number one time for eyeballs. Uh, in this particular community, our viewership goes way up, which we are extremely thankful for. Everything happens a lot faster. There's more chaos, more picks, more information. Uh, we get to take breaks for food and water. Yeah, they actually let us do that. Um, so occasionally <laughs> it'll only be one of us helming the ship. So we're not going to be able to answer every question. So if you drop a super chat over the four days, think of it as supporting the channel. And we can't thank you enough for that. Uh, but we're not going to be able to go back after four days is an answer huge bucket of questions i'm sure we'll have so just a little bit of a change from regular wanted to sort of be straight up about that before we head in really appreciate everybody's support of the channel and we'll answer as many as we can we're not going to avoid them altogether but there's just so much that goes on during the draft that we wanted to let everybody know heads up won't be quite as normal but again we'll still be trying to get to all those and thank you so much for sending them in so with that being said, EJ, uh, we'll get out of here for the night. I'm going to edit this podcast for release, ideally, Monday morning, week of the draft, start the week off right. Uh, I will be working straight through the night on my defensive position rankings episode, which also should be out by the time this podcast is out, uh, maybe a, a few hours after knowing me. But uh, that one's like a feature film length uh, <laughs> episode going up in the film room. Theatrical the release. Three. Yeah, it's it's draft season. You know, when I got two hour long videos, it's draft season coming out. So uh, I'm going to get to work on that. But thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for joining us. Draft is only a few days away. We're almost there. So we'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right. Take care. Take care.